for joining us for another episode of Worth Repeating. I'm your host, Andrea Bocab Sanderson. On this episode of Worth Repeating, we'll hear stories about the workplace, odd jobs, office drama, and all the things that we do for money. Enjoy these stories from your friends and neighbors. This is On The Clock. Our first storyteller is Brittany Myers, AKA DJ Catwalk. What's up everyone, I'm DJ Catwalk and I have quite the story for you today. I have been a DJ for the past 13 years and I've run into a few really funny situations. So I am originally from San Antonio, moved up to Austin to DJ. I got to work with a really big company there that owned 10 clubs downtown, got to DJ on 6th Street, do the whole thing. Well, right be, it was actually right after South by one year, the company I worked for got busted by the feds. <laughs> and it was due to money laundering, drug trafficking, you know, the whole, the whole thing. So um, when that happened, I always had a dream to move to LA and DJ there and do my thing. So I finally was like, you know what? Now's the time. <laughs> I don't have a job here anymore. So I moved to LA and it was extremely hard for me to find a job there. I mean, let alone DJing, no. You have to know someone, that is a real phrase, that is a real thing. <laughs> I couldn't get in anywhere. So finally I got hired as a bartender at a bowling alley in Hollywood and finally talked the GM into allowing me to DJ on Wednesday nights after my day shift. So. I'm DJing, I mean, I'm bartending one day, and you know, my shift is like 11 a.m. till 6 p.m., and it was dead. There were probably two lanes of bowlers. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything. So uh, my GM comes up to me and he's like, hey, just a heads up, I know you're DJing tonight. Drake is gonna throw a party, a private party in our like private area. So I just wanted to give you some time to prepare for that. And at the time, I really didn't have a lot of Drake's music, none of that. I like electronic and house music, so that's kind of what I do. Um, so I kind of freak out. I text my roommate, and I'm like, you got to dress up. You got to come and support me in the booth. Like, I need emotional support. <laughs> and so she's like, of course. And as I'm texting, I hear someone behind me at the bar. So I turn around and it's Drake and two of his friends. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So um, I turn around, can I get you all anything to drink? At the time, Drake was on his phone, not looking up, and the guys ordered some drinks, I make them. I go back to Drake and I'm like, did you need anything? And he's like, he looks up at me and he's like, what's your name? I'm like, Brittany. And he started singing my name to me. And I was like, okay, you got to stop. Like, I'm laughing. I don't even know, like, how to handle myself. And um, he's like, no, I'm good. And eventually I get to the point of, like, hey, I'm going to be DJing tonight. Is there anything specific you want to hear? So he's like, well, what do you do? I start naming off some of the things I like to play. He's like, oh, that's really cool. He's asking about my DJ equipment. Um, and so... I ask him, like, do you know about DJ stuff? Do you DJ? And he's like, yeah, I like to like play around with it. And I was like, <laughs> if at any point you want to come up and DJ or do whatever you want, please be my guest. So 
he he's like you know I have some music in the car like we'll see how it goes and I'm like okay cool just trying to play it cool so the night starts I start DJing I just see like loads of people walking into his party area and I'm getting more and more nervous and um I look up at one point and Skrillex is walking towards me and he's like smiling and I'm like, me? You know, like looking behind me, it was me. He's like, oh, I love your set. I love all the music you're playing. And I'm like, I love you. <laughs> and he's like, I love you too. And he was so sweet. And so um, I asked him like, if you could please come back by before you leave. He's like, yeah, of course. So. The party keeps going, and he ended up coming back. I asked, he was with his manager and a couple of friends, and I'm like, can I get y'all anything to drink? He was so sweet. He's like, no, let me go grab y'all a drink. And he stood in like the longest line to do it too. And I was like, this guy, is, like what is this night? And what was crazy for me in this moment was you know, moving from getting booked for these really great events in Austin to no one caring who I was, where I came from, no one would give me a chance. And so when I got this bowling alley gig, I, it hurt my DJ ego, you know, I'm like, okay, like, should I tell people I'm doing this? Should I just ride it out? And it ended up being the coolest place because of these random occurrences with like people I look up to in music. I got to DJ for Calvin Harris there, a bunch of different celebrities and to me it was like you can never take for granted your situation. You just have to like treat it like it is the best gig. It is the coolest club you've ever played even if there are 10 people there. The time I got to DJ for Calvin Harris, there was literally 10 people in the entire place. But I just treated it like, you know, I was DJing for like Coachella <laughs> and it all worked out. So never judge a book by its cover is the moral of this story because you never know what's going to happen. Our second storyteller is Mitch Hagney. So I'm uh, Mitch Hagney and I'm a hydroponic farmer. I've been operating my business uh, for about eight years here in San Antonio. And I'm gonna tell the story of uh, the, the first month or so that I was uh, running my farm. And so uh, I had just graduated from undergrad uh, in the fall of 2013. And I was uh, ready to start uh, what I thought was going to transform and, and fix agriculture. I was worried about environmental problems and I wanted to work in a business that I thought could make agriculture sustainable. So I had gotten connected to an investor in San Antonio who was interested in hydroponics. Hydroponics is a, a, a technique where you grow plants outside of soil so you can use nutrient-rich water. And what it allows you to do is grow in places you normally couldn't. So in my farm, which is based in a shipping container, uh, I can grow plants vertically, about 10 uh, high per square foot. And so my yield can be higher. I can grow all year long. Uh, when I was uh, starting, I was all on my own and I, I was in this big warehouse that was owned by a friend of my investor. and. Uh, uh, I was convinced 
that this was my mission. I, all of my friends had graduated and left at that time, and so I was pretty singularly focused on trying to just get my farm going, uh, get everything yielding and profitable, and hopefully uh, good enough that I can build a bunch more farms and and uh, uh, you know solve climate change, which I figured would take me a couple years. Uh, so uh, I was also a, a previous. A, camper. I would, I would go out uh, backpacking and camping a lot. And so in my mind, I thought, well, the way that I can stay extra committed and, and get done a little faster was by uh, pitching a tent and uh, sleeping in the farm. And so then when I was waking, I'd be working. And when I was sleeping, I would just be right there in case anything went wrong. So uh, it's a 16,000 square foot warehouse. And I have a 40 foot shipping container at that time uh, with plants in it. And then my tent and nothing else. So it's, it's totally empty. I'm in this big, open, empty space in downtown San Antonio. And uh, it's about the middle of October or so. And just down the street is a, a haunted house that San Antonio folks might know called the Psycho Asylum, um, which I didn't know about at the time. Uh, but uh, I learned about pretty quickly because when I was sleeping in my tent, I would hear chainsaw noises and then uh, screams. Uh, which was, you know, like a charming addition to the atmosphere of an arty, big, empty warehouse in like a rickety, windy set of rolling doors while I was on my own. But I, I've never been uh, willing to admit that I'm afraid of scary movies or anything, and so I was just kind of convinced, well, it's cool. It's an intentionally haunted house. It's, it's all good. So I would sleep and ignore it and think, well, I'm really tough for not worrying about this. So uh, late night... Uh, in the middle of October or so, I'm uh, in my farm and uh, I'm trying to develop and build kind of the last things that are going to go into it. I already have some plants that are growing uh, and need to be transplanted into my first crop in my vertical towers that are going to grow out towards lights. And I'm pretty excited because it seems like this technology is going to replace, in my mind, you know, all of the, the farms in the past for, that are growing leafy greens, that this is just how it's going to, this is what the future looks like. And we just need to, to make it work. Uh, and then this is going to be nutritious and sustainable produce. So uh, I have to download a software update in order to adjust the timing on the pumps. Now the software uh, was sent by someone else. I'm not a coder. Uh, so uh, I started downloading it on my laptop, which is the control panel that I was using for the uh, for the farm in general. And uh, it turns out that this is going to be like a two-hour update or so. There's a lot of different pieces of software that are coming in. So I set it on. I started listening to some music on my phone. I think I, it was like Pandora, so it was hopping around to different stuff. I was dancing, kind of jamming and singing while I'm in the farm. And uh, I start planting a new... Uh, amount of seeds. I need to put another flat down, put it in my little seedling germination area. Okay, that takes me a little while. I'm listening to some good music and I'm still about only 20% done on my progress update. I can see the bar kind of moving forward. Then when I get to about 50% or so, I'm like, all right, well, I, I've been transplanting now for a little while, which is taking the seedlings and putting them into the big, uh, the big towers to grow out towards the lights. Uh, and uh, I was like, well, all right, I'll do another flat and transplant those as well. So I'm, I've pretty much done all my busy work. I go and kind of check on the pH, which is an important metric for the nutrients. And I, I'm like looking at the air conditioner. I, I change the air conditioning filter. It's still, uh, I'm at about 80% or so. 
And so then I just kind of settle in and, and start playing around on my phone, waiting for the last 20%. And it's creeping real gradually. And, you know, I hear an occasional uh, haunted house Halloween noise, but okay, you know, everything's good. The farm is working great. And then we're at 95%. Uh, everything is, you know, very smooth. I'm kind of looking around thinking, wow, you know, this was not so hard to get the farm up and running. This is going to be really terrific when I build like a hundred more of these and, you know, supply the whole city with, with kale and, and lettuce. And then 99% becomes a hundred. And in that moment, all the lights, all the pumps, all the air conditioner, all the fans turn off. I'm in silence and darkness in the middle of this empty warehouse. And I hear this scream coming from the haunted house down the street. And I'm right in the middle of a shipping container inside this big empty shell. And I'm not really sure what to do. It's, a, it's about 11 p.m. Uh, and so the first thing that you do when the lights turn off in a situation like this is you, you go for the light switch. Well, obviously that didn't work. Every piece of power was off. So, okay, so I grab my phone and I kind of like walk over to the electrical area. I'm no electrician, but I know that the breakers trip and you have to deal with that. So I, I try flipping the breakers back and forth, nothing. Okay, all right. So then I go back to my laptop and I try to do just a reset. Just, all right, I'll just restart my computer. That'll probably fix it. It's a Windows, so maybe that was the problem. And uh, nope, still didn't work. And so by this time, my phone is running pretty low on battery. And so I plug in my charger. Well, that's not going to work. None of the power is on in the whole farm. So, okay, well, I'm running low on power and there is no power in the building uh, or in my farm in general. And uh, I realized that I'm just going to have to maintain my hydroponic plants the same way that people have been farming for the last 5,000 years or so. So I set a little timer. Every three hours, I wake myself up uh, because I, I go to my little air mattress in my tent and then come back out and I fill up buckets and I pour them over the top of these towers to keep these plants going. And then uh, I do that all night with interspersed with an occasional uh, outcry of fear coming from down the street. And uh, so I, the next day I woke up and I, I call, you know, the company that had sent me this, this software that, that was pretty buggy. Apparently I was one of the first people to, to try it or download it, I guess, around the country. And uh, they sent me a patch after they worked on it for a little while, the whole time, every three hours, I'm filling up and, and, and putting water onto my plants, the classic old school way. And uh, eventually it's all kind of fixed up and, and my plants are, are running and everything survived. My kind of like elbow grease and, and old style uh, preservation worked out. My, my plants grew up and, and worked out. My first delivery was about two weeks later that I delivered to Earth Juice Bar, a bunch of kale. And uh, I realized kind of from then on, yeah, the technology that I had in this hydroponics was, uh, was really impressive. LED lights are cool. Um, but if something breaks and you can't fix it in a farm, it doesn't really matter how high tech it was, uh, you need to get it running again. So pretty much everything in my hydroponics now has an analog uh, backdrop where if something fails, there's a timer or there's a, a, a replacement. I have parts all over the place, my plumbing and my electrical uh, parts. And I have very few computers in my system now. And, and so I can, I can build them uh, you know, out on a ranch without a lot of, uh, a lot of technology. And it, it just reminded me kind of that these technologies can be hugely transformative and powerful, but 
they're going to rely on the farmer and they're going to rely on the parts that the farmer can either build or replace or use themselves. And uh, from then on, every time I build a garden or try to build a kitchen or uh, that warehouse is filled up with, with kitchens now uh, that, you know, I, I built on my own, really not with a bunch of nice technology, but with classic old strategies. The future is going to need these strategies of the past. There's not just going to be like a huge transformation, but it'll integrate new kind of clever strategies as well. And so that's, uh, that was my, my first month farming and uh, it scared me a bit. Our last storyteller is Dan Kachik. All right, so I am Dan Kostick. I own King William District CrossFit with my wife, um, and we are located in Southtown San Antonio. So I'll, I'll call the story uh, a day in the life of an entrepreneur. I, uh, I have found through my experience that if I can average 60% of my time actually doing my business of choice, as far as an entrepreneur is, um, that's a good percentage. Because there have been times I've been spending 15, only 15 or 20% of my time actually running a gym. And the rest of the time was doing whatever else I needed to do to make the business work and be able to keep doing that. So to give a little background on, on the story I was gonna tell today, we had a nice little spot in Southtown San Antonio, a gym we'd had for about three years. And it was about time for my lease renewal with my landlord. And he had said this was not gonna be a problem, this was gonna be great, I like the spot. And then he was kind of avoiding me, kind of kicking the can down in the road, you know, being somewhat hard to get a hold of. And I felt like something was wrong. And turned out I was right. He actually uh, sent his dad over to deliver the bad news. And his dad told me I had about two weeks to get all my stuff out, that they had an offer from a bank, which was, a, I understood from a business perspective, a good offer. Um, they were gonna pay him like three times what I was paying in rent. And so I had two weeks to get my stuff out and figure something out. So that's what I did. I temporarily moved my stuff in with another gym and we shared space with them for a while and I started looking for a new place to lease. Um, wasn't for a variety of reasons. I was not able to find something that would work for our needs with a lease that was gonna make us successful. And so what ended up happening is I ended up purchasing land from Union Pacific Railroad, and then I became a general contractor for the next two years, and we were gonna build our gym from the ground up. And so as part of getting this project done, and I'd never been a general contractor, had no desire to be, and definitely don't now still, but you had to get the land platted. Um, Platting is like a land's birth certificate where you have to get the contours done, the parameter, the borders set all within. So it's a certain level above the streets for runoff purposes and that kind of stuff. And, a, and an engineer, a civil engineer has to do that. So I was engineering shopping and my budget for this process, whole project, I had honestly no business doing what I was doing with the budget we had. It was ridiculous. So cheap was the right price for me with everything. And one of my members, um, her husband had built a couple houses here in town and referred me to this engineer. And since then we've had some laughs about it and he's apologized, we got through it, but he said Majid is somewhat hard to deal with, um, but he is cheap. And again, that fit within my price range. And so 
I went and met with Majid, and indeed he was very condescending and abrasive out of the gates, told me that I was definitely going to fail, um, but was willing to take my money to do the project. And so he started working on the plat. And as part of the plat, um, you have to get the land contoured, as I said, to a certain height. And you need somebody to do that. There are ground movers that do those kind of jobs. And as luck would have it again, I had another member whose husband did that for a living. He mainly did big projects, hotels, you know, large business offices, that kind of stuff, but he was willing to do it for me for free, which was also the right price. And so I would take the plans and take them over to him. And when I started doing this, he started having questions about the plans. He's like, I don't understand these contour lines. So then I'd go back to Majid. Majid would tell me, whoever's looking at this is an idiot. This is how they're always done. I'd go back to him. He's like, your engineer's an idiot because like, I've never seen plans drawn like this. So I got ping-ponged back and forth a little bit. And then eventually was like, let's settle this like civilized adults and meet at the lot and we can talk out this misunderstanding. And so I, we set up a date and I think this was like July or August of 2017. It was a sunny day and the, and the lot at this point is just a big overgrown grassy field. So I drove out there in my truck. Um, Majid drove out there in his truck. Um, another guy had helping me with the construction showed up. And then this gentleman, um, Gail's husband, who was gonna do the contours of the land, he showed up as well. So we all get out and I make the introductions and Majid's opening salvo, like how he starts with this is, why are you such a fucking idiot? And this guy, again, is doing this as a favor to me, but is somewhat taken aback, um, you know, that this, another guy's talking to him. He's like, hey, I just have some questions. I've never seen the lines drawn like this. And he's like, no, shut up. You've never seen plans like this. You're an idiot. And the conversation continues to go downhill from there. And this guy, I have inadvertently put him in a very awkward position. Like he's there as a favor to me. He knows I don't have any money and that's why he's willing to do it for free. And now this guy is cussing him out that he's never met before. And so Majid continues to be combative. He would try and talk details, explain to me these lines. And Majid's like, shut up, shut up, this kind of stuff. So it ends up at the point where Majid's poking him in the chest, literally going, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up like this. And the other guy that's out there with me, I think is just like, as I am, just incredulous that this is happening. And he steps in between him and he pushes Majid back. And he's like, would you just take it easy? This guy just has some questions. Just take it easy for a minute. So Majid walks back to his truck, opens up the passenger drawer and pulls out a handgun. Now he doesn't point it at us, but he makes a show of showing it to us and stuffs it into his pants. And as you can imagine, we're all, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now, Majid? I was, I didn't know what I was, it was ridiculous. And so I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We are, adults out here talking about your engineering plans and you're pulling a gun on us. And he's like, none of you fuckers touch me. And I'm like, are you serious right now? Are you kidding me? And the other guy who's there, Gail's husband, looks at me and says, I'm sorry, Dan, I'm not doing this. And I was like, you know what? I don't blame you. I'm sorry. My apologies. And he gets in his truck and drives off. And then I'm like, Majid, what are you doing? And he's like, I told you that guy was an idiot. I'm like, fuck you. And so he then gets in his truck and drives off too. And that was about the work we got done for that day. So that was one of my days as general contractor. And the other guy, he, him and I both left. I had to pull over into a parking lot and calm myself down um, for a little while there after that. Um, I will ha I'm happy to say that what happened is um, I was stuck with Majid for the plat. 
I've learned through this process that once you start with somebody, they pretty much have to do it or you're completely starting over, both from a price perspective and a timeline perspective. And the thing was, if it was just the plat, the only person that had to deal with Majid was me. I would get the plans, he would take it back to the city, and I would take it back to the city. And so I got another engineer from Arundondo Group to do the plans. And I think eventually, Majid knew I was using somebody else, but by that time he was as sick of me as I was of him. So we got the plat done, that is finished. And I am happy to say that three years later, we have a building that we're running a successful gym in. This is going great. And I do spend a lot more of my time now running the gym, but that was one of the hurdles I had to get through to get that process done. Thank you again for spending time with us. We hope you enjoyed real stories from real people here in San Antonio. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, please visit tpr.org forward slash WR. I'm your host, Andrea Vocab Sanderson, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday season.